Hey everybody, and welcome to Rabbit's Rumblings Podcast 123123123123. I am kind of sad and sorry this time because all I have is Hearthstone stuff. Nothing else is new. So, those of you not interested in the Hearthstone ramblings, I guess, um, skip to the end. Because <laughs> that's all I've got this time. Hopefully, I can think up some other stuff to talk about next time. Maybe look at an older movie or two or something and have something cool and different to talk about. But I couldn't think of anything in time for this time. So, just Hearthstone stuff. Hopefully you'll enjoy the show. So I've gotten a bit further in the Hearthstone beta ladders, I guess you could call it. I was stuck at gold with one star forever. Now I'm at gold with two stars. There are several ranks when you start out playing, and you'll start out pretty much, I think, at no rank. And then you'll move up to bronze, silver, gold, and then I think platinum, diamond, And then there's like this special top 120, I think. And each bracket, as far as I know, except for the top 120, have three stars each. And based on your win-to-loss ratio, you will increase your rating. You know, go up in stars or up in rank. The developers are currently looking at how often they want to award rewards based on your standing. As well as how often they will wipe the ladders, and then, you you know, you start over. Originally, I thought I read somewhere that it was going to be weekly, but I sent an email to the community manager person that I can talk to, and she says they were looking at it, so I think it is undecided how often they will do that. The current theory is that nobody has actually lost any rank. You know, you get up to whatever rank you're at, and then they never see it actually go down again. The prevailing theory is that you can go up in rank, but no matter how much worse your, I guess, loss-to-win ratio becomes, you will not actually lose rank. It's like you just need to clear a certain threshold to get into the next higher rank, but you won't actually lose rank, unlike other games like, I think, StarCraft II. I think in StarCraft II, you can actually go down ranks in the ladders. I think for Hearthstone, they're trying to be a lot more casual-friendly. So not showing people's actual position in a ladder. It's just a a ranking. And, you know, not letting them go down. You know, that seems more casual-slash-friendly. They've also removed chat. So, you know, you don't have to worry about people being abusive towards you in chat. Though a lot of people on the forums really do want, you know, an optional chat. You know, to sort of opt in and talk to people. So who knows, you know, that might eventually change. But as I have been playing and learning and, you know, figuring out the different cards and the different strategies, the more I think about, you know, giving specific deck strategies, the more I think it probably wouldn't be all that helpful. Because, you know, you kind of have to talk about each deck's 
synergies and the strategies based on the synergies and, you know, what they're strong against, what they're weak against. And I, I'm sure it could get, you know, very complicated very quickly because then you're talking about, you know, one specific deck. So I think, well, I might still do that someday in the future. At least for now, I think I will just stick with general tips that anybody can use and try and stick to, you know, either cards everybody has or cards everybody should have. That way, I think it'll be more helpful to more people. And if you aren't yet in beta or you live in the future and you aren't playing the game yet, just try and, I guess, make a mental note that, you know, my ramblings are here and you can come back to them in the future if you do decide to play because they might, you know, not make a whole lot of sense without actually knowing, you know, how the game works and actually playing it. So my first big suggestion, which has actually helped me quite a bit in the rank 2 gold category for, you know, the beta pool of players that are in there now, there's a pretty significant jump between gold 1 star and gold 2 star in terms of, you know, strategy. But the big thing that really has helped me is you want 6 cards that are removal and or silence. And it could be, you know, any combination of either one of those. But I think it is really critical for every deck you make to have at least six cards that work as either or both of those. As an example, from the neutral cards, which is the official name for the non-classed cards, there is an Iron Beak Owl. He is a common critter that has two attack and one health. He costs one mana. And his battle cry is he will silence somebody. Another one I really like is a Spellbreaker who does 4 attack and has 3 life and he costs 4 mana. He is also a common card and also has a battle cry of silencing somebody. So both of those are really great cards. They're common so you should pick them up pretty quickly. If not, you can always craft them and they're fairly cheap. The exact price may or may not change by the end of beta. But, you know, common cards are the lowest cost card to craft, so they're pretty easy to get, pretty easy to craft. The Iron Beak Owl being lower cost is great for early game. I would say you probably want to hold on to him, you know, as opposed to just dropping him on the first thing you need to silence. As you play, you'll see, you know, more important things that come up that need more (laughs) silencing, I guess, than others. Some things are like, oh, I don't like that opponent having that. But, you know, they really aren't quite that big of a deal as, you know, something else. Like, as example, you know, there are several critters that have, you know, bonuses when they do stuff or, you know, various buffs people will throw on them. You know, if you're talking about like a 2-2, it's not a big deal. But if you're talking about something like, you know, they boost it up to 10-10 or something from 2-2, you know, you're absolutely going to want to silence that back down. Or if it's something that like, you know, they get a card anytime they do something, and they do that something frequently, you know, you're going to want to silence that as well. The Spellbreaker being 4 cost is a bit more mid to late game. Again, though, I find myself holding on to him more than just immediately playing him. But because he is, you know, a bigger critter, he's going to last, you know, quite a bit longer than the Iron Beak Owl. In terms of straight-up removal, Mage has Polymorph, which I talked about last time, turns something into a sheep always hilarious. Shaman has Hex, which turns something into a toad, almost equally as hilarious. And Rogue and a few other classes have straight up things like Assassination, 
which just gets rid of the creature entirely. So those are removal cards that you can find, you know, within your class, or at least, you know, most classes have some kind of removal. And so like I said, you know, find six total cards you can use for each deck. Outside of very special cards, you can have two copies of each card. So if you want to do two Iron Beak Owls and two Spellbreakers, that's already, you know, four of the six cards I would recommend you have in, you know, any given deck. And say, you know, you're playing Mage, then you throw in your two Polymorphs. Then you have, you know, six ways to silence slash remove creatures. And you should be, you know, good to go and be able to fight very well with those. And again, remember, you know, don't throw things down as fast as you can. Go for sort of what I call the minimal amount of force. You know, if something only has, you know, four life and you have two abilities, one does four damage and one does eight damage, you know, absolutely just do the four damage one. There are some other cards that have sort of conditional removal. One of my favorites for this is a Stampeding Kodo. He will destroy a random minion on the opponent's side, which has two or less attack. So he's really kind of great for breaking through little guys or defenders that have, you know, a lot of health but not very much attack. And again, he's random, so he's not really predictable. But if the opponent only has one critter out, you know, obviously it's going to get that one if it can. If he's got, you know, two or three that have, you know, two or less attack, you know, you're pretty much good to go no matter which one he hits. Because he's going to hit somebody. You know, it's not specifically targeted by you, the player. There's also a big game hunter who is pretty much the exact opposite. He removes a minion which has seven or higher attack. And he is specifically targeted. So if there are, you know, more than one targets that count, you can pick which one you want to do. And those are both battle cries. So they happen when the creature, you know, goes right into play. If no creatures, you know, fit the conditions of their card, you know, it's not going to have any effect. So again, with something like the Stampeding Kodo, you know, I like to use him quite a bit. You know, I'll often hold on to him for two or maybe even three turns before I put him down into play. You know, just in case that condition comes up that makes him really, really useful. I also have a few general thoughts on some of the classes and the basic cards you can get, which are cards you will get by leveling up that class up to level 10. The basic cards are ones that you are guaranteed to get. Mage is my favorite class to play, and these are in order of mana cost. Mirror Image is the first card I would recommend. I don't actually always use this one, but it is great because you get two minions that have taunt, and that only costs one mana. So, you know, two for one deal, pretty good deal. They're not amazing, though, because they are zero attack and one health. So it's like they're kind of really good in emergencies. You know, they will fend off, you know, a bad guy attack, you know, because the bad guy has to attack them and he has to get past them to get to you. But spells don't have to target them. They can, you know, just attack you directly. Or spells can be used to, you know, get rid of them because there are several hero abilities and spells which do, you know, one damage and can get rid of them quite easily. But they're, you know, a pretty good deal and they're very cheap to cast. Arcane Missiles and Arcane Explosion are really great for board control. They are probably always going to be in my mage deck builds. The Arcane Missiles will randomly target all enemies. So if there's, 
you know, three enemies out there. It could hit any one of them plus the hero. But typically, you know, I'll use them when there's only like one or two bad guys on the board, not counting the enemy hero. That way, you know, of the number of shots I have, it's pretty much a decent chance it's going to hit them and clear them out. Arcan Explosion does an AE, so it hits everybody that is a minion on the enemy's side of the board. It only does a little bit of damage unless you have spell power, which will increase the damage of your spells. But it's a great way to hit, you know, everybody on that side of the board. Especially if they're doing something like a Murloc deck, you know, and then they've got five or six guys with only one hit point each. And just hit Arcane Explosion, and then laugh as all of their critters die. Arcane Intellect helps speed up your deck because it gets you some card draw. And so that helps you build up some options in your hand as to, you know, how you want to play, you know, what cards. Again, you know, having them in your hand is great because then you can pick and choose, you know, what tactics to use when. Polymorph, again, is really amazing, and I will probably always have it in all of my mage builds. It is one of the easiest ways to sort of clear out slash control the board because no matter what, you can pretty much always throw it down. Mage does have a way to counterspell spells and prevent you from casting. I don't think there are any other classes that can. So usually you can just throw it out there and, you know, not have to worry about it being countered in any way. And then, you know, hilarity ensues as their big critter, they just drop down and put a bunch of stuff on as now a 1-1 sheep. Of course, it's always kind of, you know, equally hilarious just to leave it on the board and let them, you know, try and attack you with it because it makes funny noises. Of course, you know, that's kind of dangerous because some classes can, you know, buff up creatures, so it's always best to clear it out. Flame Strike is another spell that is great for clearing the board and keeping control. It's a pretty high-cost card, though, so it's pretty much an end-game kind of thing. It is currently 7 mana, and it will do 4 damage to everything on that side of the board. So pretty much as with any AE abilities, you know, you don't want to do it unless he has at least three creatures, maybe four. And, you know, there isn't a better, more efficient way to clear them out. But it is really great for, you know, clearing out that whole side and getting rid of a lot of medium to slightly bigger creatures and, you know, regaining control of the board. Rogue has what they're calling a combo mechanic, which means if you play a card and then follow it with a card that has a combo effect listed, it will do whatever that combo effect is. So rogue decks really kind of favor speed decks. You know, you want to be able to play multiple cards each turn because that way any combo effects you have will always, you know, be ready to go. And again, sort of an advanced strategy is, you know, don't spend all your cards at once. You know, be sure you have one or two cards you can use to sort of open up that combo option. Again, the basic cards I would recommend from low to high cost would be Backstab. Backstab is a great low cost card and does, you know, a decent amount of damage for its cost. I mean, it's almost free. So it's great to sort of hold onto and then, you know, use that as an opener to combos. Shiv and Sinister Strike are also pretty low-cost cards that do okay damage, and they will open up, you know, the way for combo cards. Sap is an okay removal card, as it gets the enemy critter off of the board. 
However, you know, if you're playing this on an opponent, you know, they can just bring out that same creature the next turn in most every case. And they'll also get whatever battle cry or other effects the card has. So be very careful when you play it. And, you know, be very mindful that that's just probably going to come right back out in the next turn. You can use sap on your own creatures. Say like you've dropped one down and you buffed them up quite a bit. And then, you know, your opponent silenced him or something. You can then just use sap on your own creature, pull him back into your hand, and then, you know, he'll come back out unsilenced. If they had some kind of special ability, you know, that was activating, that was no longer activating because they were silenced, you know, you can use sap, you know, on your own creature to sort of restore that. Fan of Knives is a pretty decent AE attack does a little tiny bit of damage, but it does it to everybody on that side of the board. So it's a good way, again, to remove a lot of, you know, low hit point minions. You know, again, if there's a Murloc deck or something, you can just, you know, do Fan of Knives and then, you know, they're mostly all dead. Assassinate, I would say, is critical for rogue decks. It's a bit more mid to late game, being 5 cost. At least right now it's 5 cost. But it totally gets rid of the monster. They're just dead and gone from the game. So it is probably one of the best removal cards, if not the best of all removal cards. And I absolutely recommend, you know, every rogue deck have both assassinates available to them. Shaman is actually possibly becoming my second favorite class to play. They have a lot of minions and a lot of sort of synergy between things because, you know, they have that hero power to bring out a random totem. And the random totem can pretty much do everything. You know, there's one that does some damage. There's one that gives you spell power. There's one that does healing. There's one that taunts. You know, it's kind of like you always have something. You might not get it because it's random. But you always have, like, all of the little basic things that you need. And if they come up, you know, just right, it's pretty awesome. But as for basic cards that I would recommend you always have, they would be the following. Feral Spirit is a great defense card. Brings you out two taunting critters. I think they are two attack and three health. They're pretty low cost. They do cause overload though, which is something specific to Shaman. And that basically borrows mana from your next turn. So like say you would have four mana next turn. If a card says Overload 2, instead of having those 4 mana, you will have 2 mana already locked. So it's basically like you're spending mana from your next turn. That's kind of a a very interesting mechanic. You get more powerful stuff faster, but then, you know, the next turn you're sort of shorting yourself in some cases. Hex is a must for any Shaman decks. Again, it is great removal. It does turn the critter into a 0-1 taunting critter. So it will be kind of standing in your way, as it were. But, you know, if it's a much larger taunting critter, or it's something that's putting you under huge threat, you know, maybe it's a 10 attack or something, it's a great way to get rid of that. Bloodlust can be a total game changer. And I absolutely recommend every shaman deck have both bloodlusts available to them. You do need to have board superiority. How Bloodlust works is it gives you plus three attack to each of your minions. So you kind of want to wait until you have, you know, at least four minions before you cast it. Be careful there are no secrets on the opposing side. Because, you know, he could 
counter the spell or could be like if it's hunter, it could be an explosive trap. First critter that goes in might set off, you know, the explosive trap and then I think that does like two damage to all of your critters. If there are any secrets on the opponent's side, you might want to hold off and not use bloodlust. But you know, at plus three attack to each of your critters, you know, that adds up very quickly. I just had a game earlier tonight where by turn seven, the opponent had actually not controlled the board. I had all seven creatures up because that's, you know, the maximum you can have. Half of them were totems and had, you know, zero damage on them. But Bloodlust gives you plus three attack per creature. So I had, you know, 21 bonus damage just from Bloodlust. That was enough to kill them off by turn seven, you know, just based on the bonus damage. I didn't even need the actual damage of the, like, three guys who had actual damage on them. So again, um, Bloodlust can be a total game changer. And obviously, you know, if you're fighting a shaman, you want to be mindful of that and, you know, keep board control and not let them get board control. Otherwise, you know, Bloodlust could come up and do a tremendous amount of damage. There are several neutral cards that I really like quite a bit. The Young Priestess is a rare card. At the end of your turn, she will give a random minion on your side plus one health. So she's really great for a minion deck because, you know, every turn she'll buff somebody up a little bit. But you absolutely have to be sure you can protect her, you know, have taunters there in the field. If you're fighting against somebody like a mage, you know, you probably don't want to put her out because the mage will just use their hero power and then, you know, do one damage of life and, you know, kill her off. So you have to be kind of very mindful about when you put her out. But in the right deck, she can be quite powerful and very helpful. The Iron Beak Owl, as previously mentioned, is a great way to have a low-cost silencer out there. Plus, he is super cute has a little hooty noise he makes, and he looks very cute. But at only one life, he's pretty much just useful for the silence. After that, you're probably just going to lose him the next round. So while you don't really have to worry about protecting him after you do your silence, you know, you do not want to sort of plan any major strategic moves based on him still being there in the next turn. One of my very favorite cards, if not my very, very favorite cards, is the Knife Juggler. He's rare, and his deal is that anytime you summon a minion, he will throw a dagger and do one point of damage to a random opponent. Could be minion, could be the hero. So you can't control where his damage is going. But if he's played, you know, at the right time, you know, there's only a certain number of opponents, and, you know, you're pretty much guaranteed he's going to throw it at that guy, because, you know, that's one of the few options he can. You know, you put him out at the right time, summon up a couple of minions. He's going to be throwing damage here, doing damage there. And again, in a minion-focused deck, if you can keep him alive, he can do a tremendous amount of damage and chaos. He is fairly at risk, though. He has three attack, but only two health. So there's a lot of sort of control cards that can take him out pretty easily. Most of the minions have enough damage, you know, they can kill him pretty quickly. So opponents pretty much go right for him and, you know, oftentimes will happily trade, you know, a not very important minion to get rid of the knife juggler. So again, a really powerful card if you can keep him alive. Keeping him alive is the issue. The Demolisher is a rare card. Kind of looks like a 
sort of a harvesting thing, you know, one of those things you drive around in the fields and it's got a, a thing on the front that goes and chops up all the wheat or whatever. It's rare. And at the start of your turn, it will do two damage to a random enemy. Could be minions, could be the hero. This is actually a great critter for a deck which has very few minions because it's throwing damage kind of all over the place. It doesn't have taunt, but it does have a high level of threat. In the, It's going to be throwing you know, those two points somewhere at the enemy. So they're going to want to get rid of it. It has an okay amount of life. But again, you know, it's something that's going to be, you know, a big target for the enemy. But, you know, because of that two damage every turn, it's going to kind of keep the pressure on them. So it's a very good pressure card. You don't quite have to worry so much about keeping it alive. It has four health. You know, if targeted by, you know, a few things that can be gotten rid of quite easily. But again, you know, in a deck that has very few minions, it's a really great thing because it can do quite a bit of chaos if thrown out at the right time. I mentioned the Shield Breaker before. He is common, so very easy to get or, you know, craft if you haven't gotten one. He's four attack with three defense, so he's a pretty decent fighter on his own. And again, you know, he has the bonus of the battle cry of silence. So he's really good to play and do some damage or, you know, as I often do, hold him back for a little bit, see if his silence is needed, and then sort of throw him out when you have nothing else to throw out. I think I mentioned the Stampeding Kodo. He is rare, and again, he destroys a minion with two or less attack as his battle cry. So he's pretty useful for that if you can hang on to it and, you know, use it strategically. But he's a pretty decent fighter at 3 attack and 5 health, even if you don't use his battle cry. And that's all my generic tips. Hopefully they will be helpful to you now or you know, in the future when you play. And if you don't play, hopefully it wasn't too boring for you because you know, it's kind of statistic heavy, I guess. <laughs> So in Not Rabbit Life news, Riddick is out next week on September 6th. In Rabbit Life news, I guess my laptop might be in quite a bit more trouble than I thought. I did finally get the new battery. I plugged it in, I charged it up, and it showed, you know, green and at full charge. I did a quick test and just kind of unplugged it when I, you know, when I was sitting down at the coffee shop to see, you know, what the battery showed. Battery showed an hour and 15 minutes, so that was pretty awesome. So I let that run. You know, I figured I would let it drain down and then recharge it again because that's what, you know, you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do that like, I don't know, three or four times when you first get a battery. And it went for about, I would guess, half an hour. And then I stepped away for like one minute. And when I came back, the system was, you know, completely shut down. So I plugged it back in, tried to turn it on. And when I turned it on, it gave me that same kind of warning of, you know, the battery is at zero charge and it's damaged and you should replace it. 
So I was like, you know, what the crap, this is a brand new battery. So I shut back down, took it out, put it back in, and, you know, sometimes that'll sort of reset the battery sensor, but it still showed the same thing. So I shut it down again, I let it charge up for a while. It again showed full charge, you know, there's a little light that shows if it's charging or not. So I turned it back on, and again, it showed 0% not charging, replaced the battery. So I switched out to the old battery, and, you know, the old battery showed as fine, and it was fully charged and everything. So I have a very bad feeling this means that it's actually not any situation with the battery, and it's actually the battery sensor thing, whatever that is, you know, in the laptop itself, not the battery. That talks to the computer and says, you know, the battery has charge, the battery doesn't have charge, give it juice from the plug or, you know, just avoid the battery and feed the computer directly because the battery's full. I think all of that sensor stuff is messed up. So I'm just going to avoid it by only using it plugged in and, you know, continue to record on my netbook. I didn't notice any real differences in sound before, so... Hopefully, you know, I will sound normal or close enough to normal to not bother anybody. But it seems like in terms of, you know, fixing my laptop, it does not seem like it's going to be possible because that's something, you know, you can't fix. So that's probably just going to get worse. And it could be a sign that that something, you know, maybe is seriously wrong with its power system, I guess you could say. And I might need to replace it sooner rather than later, which would be terrible because I don't have money and I probably won't have money for like a year if the IRS takes my money away. Even if they don't, um, it's still probably going to be six or eight months before I could consider it. The good news is besides running a fair bit hotter than normal, I mean, it's not in the danger range or anything, but it's certainly, you know, noticeably hotter than it should be. You know, it seems okay. Other than that, and I wonder if that's, you know, related to why it started seeming a little bit hot, you know, in the first place. And I sent it back, I don't know, whatever it was, six months plus now. But I wonder, you know, if that issue is related to the previous issue. And, you know, that laptop's just dying in general. I mean, it's like two and a half years old. So it's not really surprising because, you know, laptops aren't really meant to be used as desktop replacement. I mean, it's a desktop replacement system, sure, but they aren't really meant to be used, you know, like 12 plus hours a day, every day, you know, as a desktop. So, you know, lasting two and a half years, you know, that's pretty good. You know, that's that's lasted about as long as I thought it would. Kind of hoping it would last like three years, and that's probably about how long it will be. But, um, yeah, that's bad news, so that could die, I don't know, I guess, at any moment. But, you know, it seems okay and normal plugged in currently, so hopefully it will last, you know, until I do have money to change over. I guess that's it for the news this time. So I guess that's it 
for this Rabbit's Ramblings podcast. No prior treasure, and, you know, like I said at the start, not really anything going on in my life except for playing in the Hearthstone beta. Playing way too much, probably. <laughs> but I don't really have anything else to do, so. And, you know, if at any point I'm not having fun, you know, I will stop and do something else or, you know, pack up my stuff and go somewhere else. I did finally get signed up for a new class. doesn't start for like a month, so still have time on that before that starts up. I guess school was like dumb or something, and because I didn't attend last quarter, you know, I had that one class and then I dropped it, so it counted me as not attending. I guess because of that, they basically kicked me out and said I was no longer a student, so I had to reapply and you know it wasn't a big deal I just had to fill out a web form and it took like I don't know 15 minutes or something but it's like you know why didn't you guys tell me that a month ago instead of just giving me this error on the website where I thought you know it wasn't my sign up date or something I I guess it doesn't really matter because there was no classes I could have signed up for except for the one I signed up for it's like all the other classes have to you know be after this one they they require it as it were So I'm kind of, you know, stuck where I am until I get past this class. But I guess that is it for this Rabbit's Ramblings podcast. Hopefully people had fun. And again, you know, sorry to the not Hearthstone interested slash playing people. And I will very definitely try to, you know, come up with some stuff to talk about next time that is not Hearthstone. So hopefully I will see everybody next time. Okay, thanks. Bye. But while you're, you know, your win to, to lo- I'm having fun. You know, if I, if, 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 if. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. You have been listening to Rabbit's Ramblings. If you would like to see the show notes or feed the bunny by sending a donation, you can find the show website at www.rabbit.com slash podcast slash rabbits ramblings dot html if you would like to send me an email you can do so at rabbit at rabbit dot com if you friend me you can also post on facebook at rabbit dot com you can follow me on twitter and youtube at rabbit dot com it's rabbit dot com but with not a period when you type rabbits ramblings don't use the space and be sure to put the number 1 in place of I whenever you type rabbit. Rabbit's Ramblings is copyright 2013 and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license.